0: Oh. Ever been out hunting and found a body on top of a mountain. No, no, I haven't. Yeah, me neither. But let's talk about them. This podcast contains some adult language, graphic descriptions of crime scenes, sexual assault, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. Today we're going to talk about the body on Bull Mountain, or the missing bank teller. Which is a local case for any West Virginians listening. Yes, it's a it's a local woman transplanted here from Ohio, and her name is Margaret Dodd. So, the story starts on Wednesday, September 7th, 1977. Margaret had left her job at the Cardinal Bank in the Raleigh Mall and headed towards home her home in Shady Spring in a green 1977 Chevette. Margie, as people often called her, traveled her usual route home, but for some reason that has never been determined, she pulled off the road and into the parking lot of an Amico service station in Beaver. Another car, which appeared to witnesses to be a dirty, greenish-colored Chevelle or Chevy Nova, pulled in behind her. It appears that Margie turned off her car and removed the keys from the ignition, took her purse from the seat beside her, stepped out of her car, and walked towards the vehicle parked behind her. That is the last definite fact that anyone has been able to establish concerning Margie Dodd on that fateful day. It's funny
1: that you should mention that service station
0: because it was also brought up in the Patricia
1: Brogan case that we discussed. It was.
0: It's a pretty it sketchy was. station. I, we're, but we're also back in Shady, Beaver area. So, What y'all people be doing out there? I don't know. <laughs> I, wilding out out in Shady. <clears throat> so there was no doubt
1: that Margie was a victim of violence. The first notice to police was at approximately 8.45 p.m. when neighboring residents called in to report a screaming woman at the AMCO service station at Beaver. John Cole was leaving his mother's residence when he heard the screams from the service station and saw what appeared to be a man forcing a struggling, screaming woman into a car. After getting the woman into the car, the man grabbed up Margie's purse from the ground. Articles had spilled out of the purse, but he left them lying on the pavement and returned to the car and drove away, heading towards Beckley. Chances of solving the crime appeared very good police were on the scene within 15 minutes of the abduction and within half an hour they had the name and a good description of the victim the fact that margie had approached the car behind her of her own free will made officers theorize that she had known the driver or that someone posing as a police officer had pulled her over and she took her purse intending to show her registration and license but that's kind of strange like you don't normally get out of the car for police officers who pull you over why, you, you you start
0: coming out of a car when you get pulled over now, you're not able to get
1: shot. I mean, they're like, no, stay in your car, stay where you're at, don't approach the car, you know, that's very unusual.
0: Typically, it's you get pulled over, you shut the car off, you stay in the car, and you follow the, any commands given to you by the police officer. I've never known anybody to get out of their car after being pulled over. I certainly don't do it.
1: No, I mean, unless they specifically ask you, get out of the car. Like, yeah. You stay put. Exactly. But her husband, Kent Dodd, told police that Margie's purse had a torn flap and that she always carried it carefully to prevent any articles from falling out. The fact that nothing had spilled out in her automobile implied that she had removed the purse from her car herself before
0: leaving it. Which is actually something that's really smart to report. Because, I mean, who else is going to know that her purse was kind of falling apart? And, you know, she always made sure she carried it a certain way.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty good, you know, fact to give police. Yeah. Because then it just shows that there was probably definitely a a struggle.
0: At least something, yeah. or Or that somebody else removed it themselves because she wouldn't just spill her purse.
1: I don't particularly know when this whole, like, people posing as police officers thing came about. But I do know... Like, I remember that being a thing when I was a kid. You know, people were scared, you know, don't flash your lights at other people, don't, you know, don't pull over unless you know for a fact that it's a police officer or that kind
0: of thing. Because people were getting kidnapped and abducted, right? Right. Right. I mean, even now they'll tell you, like, even police will tell you, if it's an unmarked car and they're flashing lights at you and they want you to pull over, there's nothing wrong with... Mm-hmm with you waiting until you're in a populated, well-lit area before you pull over. Because it's not very often that you see unmarked cars pulling people over. You know what I mean? Most of them have the county they're from, police, sheriff, state trooper, whatever marked down the side of their vehicles, or they're obviously police cars.
1: And if it's an unmarked car, they still have the red and blue flashing lights in the car. Right, but they're, they're not it. just going to use their
0: headlights to pull you over. Oh, no, no, no. But there was, there was like, you know, there's been people posing as police officers in an unmarked, what would appear to be an unmarked vehicle. And that's how they would have women too. Which is scary. The only witnesses who had seen the assailant were John Cole and his young daughter who had been playing in the yard. John had little more than a short glimpse of the man and could only describe him As a tall, slender male wearing blue jeans and a dark jacket. That's not a lot. It could be anybody. Oh, yeah. Um, Seven-year-old Lori could only tell officers that the man who forced the woman into the car bore a resemblance to her favorite television personality, the Fonz. Ooh. From Happy Days.
1: I mean, that's a pretty good, like, description from a seven-year-old.
0: I don't think that my eight-year-old niece could give a description. know that she could you know even liken somebody to a character Hmm. because i think this generation that's coming up is very i mean they're technologically savvy because that's what they know but i mean a lot like my niece watches freaking youtubers all the time and i'm not talking like somebody that would look like james charles or jeffrey star or somebody else like that they're like people playing roblox that do voiceovers so like if you ask my eight-year-old niece for a description she'd be like "He look like steve from minecraft she's so got a blockhead is that what you're saying oh like, gosh yeah i don't know what you mean
1: not to mention they don't really pay attention to their surroundings like kids back then would
0: oh my because gosh. they didn't have the technology to absorb their tiny little minds one time i took my niece to a little trick-or-treat thing and she ran across the street and straight up into somebody's house. <gasps> yeah. They were like, oh, no, are you are looking for a little girl that's dressed like a witch? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's who I'm looking for. Yeah, she just ran into our house. Like, thank God you're not a pedophile and you let me know where she was at. She just thought it was completely fine. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I thought I was going to get killed. <laughs> Anyways. So, <laughs> For the next six hours, Kent Dodd and five state troopers rode through the deserted raids of Raleigh County, searching for any sign of the abductor's car. Every possible escape route from the area was checked, and every automobile, which vaguely resembled the one that Margie was seen being forced into, was stopped, and the driver was questioned. It appeared as if Margie and her abductor or abductors had just vanished into thin air.
1: I mean, they had pretty much like a half an hour
0: head start on everything. Well, I mean, it only took the police 15 minutes to respond, which is actually a pretty quick response time. Um,
1: but to get all the details and everything else, you had another 15 minutes. So yeah. it's 30 minutes that, I mean, they could have been all the way to Crab Orchard area. They could have been
0: to Gent. They could have been to Oak Hill.
1: Yeah, perhaps. I mean.
0: So the next morning, officers began interviewing with people who worked at the mall where Cardinal Bank was located, hoping to identify people who had previous contact with her. It proved to be an enormous undertaking, as 27-year-old Margie had been friendly and outgoing. She had only recently purchased her 1977 Chevette. Until that time, after finishing work at 8:30. She had waited at the mall for her husband to give her a ride home upon leaving his employment at the Lee Company around 11.30. But it says she regularly passed the time by talking to other people who worked in the stores and theaters in the mall, occasionally joining a friend who worked at Montgomery Wards and waited for Kent at the pub, as it was called, a popular lounge located in the mall. Officers began to question all customers of the bank who had conducted business with Margie at the bank on the day of her abduction. No information proved to be relevant. The only man that witnesses could place as having direct, unofficial contact with Margie Dodd on the day of her disappearance was her husband. Kent told officers that he had gone to the mall at 4.30 to pick up some money from his wife and to do some shopping, and he left the mall at approximately 7.15 p.m. to return home. Damn! So they already out the get go saying yes, the husband. Yeah, it's girl. the husband. Just blame it on the husband. Husbands are husbands are always like suspect number one.
1: But I mean, he seems like you know a pretty nice husband. I mean, he would pick up his wife instead of having,
0: you Some, know, yeah. His... Having her hitch a ride with somebody else or walking home or... Well, I wouldn't say that they're officially saying that he's a suspect. They're just saying that he was the only one that really had any type of official contact with her that day. And, you know, if she
1: spent a lot of time at this pub, she could have been in contact with God knows how many people and not
0: even realized that somebody was targeting her. Yeah. Which is scary because, like I said, 70s all around, it didn't sound like a fun time and i don't i i have no recollection of montgomery ward but i think that was gone by the time I, and maybe it wasn't i don't know i know my mom used to shop there or work there one i can't remember which one she
1: the name sounds familiar
0: to me and that's probably just because my parents talk about it actually i, I want to say she didn't work there i think she worked at a gas station because she always talked about how much pain in the ass it was to clean the hot dog rollers <laughs>
1: Berkeley Police Department Chief of Detectives Frank Pack and State Police Trooper Preston Gooden worked together to coordinate the investigation. Days were spent checking side roads, dead-end routes, logging roads, and lovers' lanes. Over the next few weeks, the officers interviewed over 300 people in hopes of finding the one clue that could point a finger toward the abductor every possible avenue that promised leads was pursued even the seven-year-old girl who had witnessed the abduction was hypnotized still her description was only of a tall slim man who looked like the fawns
0: it's crazy that they used hypnotists at that time yeah i mean that's not something that you do nowadays for sure So, the investigation was complicated by a series of brutal rapes which were occurring in the area. Over a dozen women were raped in the year following the abduction of Margie Dodd. Several of the rapes had been committed in the area surrounding Beaver, where she had been abducted, as well as at the mall where she worked. Police began an intense questioning of known and suspected sex violators in the area, but no connection could be made between them and the missing woman. The rapist was eventually arrested and no connection could be made between the rapist and Dodd. That's
1: terrible, you know. You know, I think you're spending all this time searching, questioning, and then, like, you kind of get your hopes up when you capture this
0: person only to be let down again. Yeah. Yeah, especially with so many women being abducted and raped and... Everything else that was going on, you would think that there would be some kind of hopeful connection there, and then there was not.
1: There were even clues of a supernatural source. Several psychics from Ohio contacted Kent Dodd and the police, as well as Margie's parents, Mr. and Mrs. John Horan of Akron, Ohio. Surprisingly, even though no connection could be made between the different psychics, they all gave similar information. Officers were impressed by the accuracy of some of the information given by the psychics. Also, an anonymous caller informed police that he had discovered a body while parking with a woman in the area of the 4-H Reservoir. He refused to give his name in order to protect his companion as she was married. Surprisingly, the area named by the anonymous caller closely matched the area described by the various psychics. One psychic even sent a map to police marked by an X where she believed the body would be found. The mark on the map sat directly on the area of the 4-H Reservoir where they had been directed by the anonymous caller who stated that he had found a body while parked with the married woman. Officers were increasingly impressed by the accuracy of the information given by the psychics. At this point, they became involved in another phase of the investigation involving the FBI in Ohio. On September 29th, 1977, Margie's mother was contacted by telephone by a man who stated that Margaret was being held by his brother-in-law in Four Corners, West Virginia, and that he would help rescue her for $15,000. That's all that you're going to ask for? $15,000? I mean, that's quite
0: a bit of money I mean, back yeah, then. Girl, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of money now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: The subject continued to call the Horans, and an FBI phone tap indicated that the calls were coming from payphones in Akron, Ohio. In another ransom call, the Horans were told that their daughter was being held by Joe Bob in a sleazy motel in Akron. Callers identified themselves as Joe, Bob, and Jimmy. Joe Bob Jimmy. Joe Bob Jimmy. Yeah, we got you daughter down here. Fifteen thousand dollars, please, and you can have her back. <laughs>
0: An FBI agent posing as Margie's uncle picked up an African American man he had promised to take Margie's uncle to Joe Bob to pay the ransom demand and get Margie. Things went wrong, however, during this trip, and the African American man was shot and killed by FBI agents. Shit. Yeah, that is pretty quickly. It was learned that the African-American man, James William Hendry, was an ex-convict from Akron, Ohio, out on parole. <laughs> Wouldn't that suck? Be paroled and then get shot. No kidding. Um, a careful check on Hendry's activities proved that there is no indication that he had left the Ohio area either recently or at the time of Margie Dodd's disappearance in September 1977. Hendry had been bragging to friends and family about making a big hit soon. Police theorized that Hendry had gained his knowledge of West Virginia through talking with a former cellmate from Charleston. Apparently, he had seen articles in the Akron newspapers featuring Margie's mother's pleas for information concerning her daughter. Hendry made an effort to capitalize on the pain of the elderly couple. That is so shitty. Mm -hmm. Karma, baby. So, in 1979, two psychics made a trip to Raleigh County in an attempt to find Margie Dodd's body. Both women stated that the missing woman had appeared to them regularly since her disappearance, begging them to lead the police to her body. The two psychics decided to travel to West Virginia after Margie appeared to them crying that nobody cares anymore. The psychics maintained that the missing woman had been stabbed, but had actually died as a result of a blow to the chest. They were also convinced that two men had been involved in the murder and the case kind of goes stagnant uh,
1: from that point i just think it's crazy that you have i mean these psychics have no connection to this lady whatsoever yet they're still putting in all the efforts that they can to try and help and find her you don't see people doing that anymore like Nobody cares anymore like this. Like you you hear something on the news about this person going missing or hell, the thousands of children that go missing every day. But we as a community, as a country, we don't care like we used to. It's just another person gone.
0: Yeah, and I think that's one of the scariest cases is the ones that just disappear into thin air. It's very eerie. Yeah. That there's no clues, no nothing, no trail. It's gone. So, in 1993, deer hunters on Bolt Mountain found a human skull, prompting police to search the area. Investigators found the skeletal remains of a Caucasian female, her dirt-covered sweater and flared slacks, her high-heeled clogs, and a ring. The unidentified body had been dumped like garbage at what had once been a mine on a section of property where miners routinely disposed of trash, according to former Raleigh County Sheriff Steve Tanner, who had worked to solve the case before his retirement in December of that year. Police believed the suspect knew the area, but they had no way of proving the victim was a local woman. So, for nearly two decades, she was just known as the woman on Bolt Mountain.
1: Her body yielded little evidence of who she had been, but detectives were able
0: to get a minuscule DNA sample. And rather than wait up to 18 months to go through a government lab, Van Meter paid for testing of a small DNA sample that had been kept at a private lab from 2004, which had ultimately proved inconclusive at the time. So while they were trying to positively identify the body, they had initially compared the body against cases of other local missing women to include Tammy Daniel Beckley and Susan Rupa Fayette County, but both were ruled out as viable identifications, and pretty early on, Lily said that he saw items of information he felt needed followed up on. And one of them was that he noticed that police had found a unique ring with the Bolt Mountain remains. When he presented pictures of it to her surviving family members, they were able to positively identify the ring as Dodd's wedding set. Pack said that on the chance that Dodd's body was found, early investigators kept a set of incomplete dental records for matching purposes, the only forensic evidence available in 1977. Which we know from taking a look back at Rodney Alcala's case, or you could even look at Ted Bundy's case. You know, dental records were the downfall of Ted Bundy. And the Kai the Omega house when he he bit that one sorority girl a couple times on, on the booty. And yeah. they were able to match his teeth. Raleigh County Sheriff's
1: Office Captain Larry Lilly had positively learned the identity of the woman whose remains had mystified investigators since 1993. And
0: her name was Margaret Dodd. Dun, dun, dun! Yeah. And this was 2017. Right, so they found her body in 1993. And didn't identify her until 2017. I just want to
1: know, like, where do they keep... These bodies, when they just been, you know, unable to identify them, like, why don't they just go ahead and cremate them or do whatever they
0: need to do? Like, because you want to have that DNA stuff so to go back, because sometimes, sometimes that's, that can lead you back to who the killer was.
1: But you would think that in 1993, they would be able to use some sort of DNA you know, technology wasn't super far advanced, but it was still there. You would think that they would be able to find something out.
0: Maybe, I mean, but it also depends on, you know, if all, if they found a skull, you know, she disappeared in 77, 93, that's already 16 years that it went by. Her body was decomposed. There's no fingernails to see if, yeah. she, you know, she had any type of DNA underneath her fingernails.
1: But I still want to know where they keep these creepy bodies.
0: Girl, they probably like. like. cadavers. How they store them. Just. hanging on a hook in a meat locker. Oh, God. No. I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how they do it. It's just NCIS coming out. I don't know. But, I mean, yeah, they have ways of preserving them and. Typically, after so long goes by, especially, like, if it's a whole body and not just, like, skeletal remains, like, in this case, they probably, you know, after so long, they do, I don't even think they cremate them. I think they do bury them. It'll it'll just be kind of, like, in an unmarked grave. Yeah. Which is sad. It is sad. It's sad that it took them this long to figure out who she was, too. Yeah. I just think it's somebody's family out there just waiting for you know to hear any word of what happened
1: and there'd be nothing in return You just sitting there waiting
0: sadness lily said that the bolt mountain location of dodd's body will likely aid police in making an arrest he said quote this is a huge part of the puzzle it will probably say a lot about who did this and that it's not just some random thing that you end up in that area It's a remote area. It's probably somebody familiar with the area. So, Lily, along with the West Virginia State Police, Sergeant R.A. Daniel, and retired Beckley Police Department Detective Bureau Chief Frank Pack, who worked on the case back in the 70s, um, he was the original investigator of her abduction, uh, they're still looking for her murderer. Lily said, quote, This is a big step in the case, but the biggest step is still there to try to find who did this to Margie. Lily said police have reopened the investigation into Dodd's disappearance and are determined to find the person responsible for taking her life. Raleigh County Sheriff Scott Van Meter said, quote, This is about Margie Dodd and trying to get her some justice. A lot of people think if it's been almost 40 years, They think there is no way the police can solve this. Scott Van Meter also said, quote, that's not true. These cases can be worked and they can be solved. Which is true.
1: Many, many cold cases have been solved over the years. And whether it's 50, 60 years later since that case actually happened, they do get solved. Right. I mean, there might not be family or anybody around to get those wonderful
0: news that, hey, we solved the case. But... It you get soft. Right, right. That just makes me think back to Rodney Alcala, how he had committed all these horrible crimes and there were some that were not connected to him definitively until years later and how Robin Samso, his last one of his last victims, her mom actually died before anything was ever done to Rodney, which ultimately in the end nothing was ever done. He died of natural causes in prison.
1: And that's something else you have to wonder, you know, is whoever did this to Margie still alive? Yeah, that's always a thought, too. And, and you know, if he is, he's not going to match any description like the seven-year-old provided back then. Because he's not going to look like that
0: anymore. No, no. And, I mean, like again, like you said, what if he isn't alive anymore? Because, you know, Margie was 27 mm-hmm. at the time of her disappearance been over 40 years so that would put them at least in their 70s it's hard to say Hmm. but i mean they could
1: still figure out who it was and if he's dead he's dead you know yeah that's true following through on a campaign promise van meter allocated additional funds and manpower to solving cold cases in the county when he took office in january He named the Woman on Bolt Mountain case, one that led Detective Lilly, had already worked with former Raleigh Sheriff Steve Tanner as a priority. Lilly immediately began searching the Bolt Mountain evidence again, and that's when the fate of Margaret Dodd and the body on Bolt Mountain converged into a cold case that is now an active murder investigation, nearly 40 years after Dodd disappeared. The young woman's abduction struck a deep chord in the community in 1977, long before social media and the 24-hour news cycle. Sergeant Daniel said he believes that witnesses from the local baby boomer generation will be key in locating Dodd's killer. Daniel said, quote, I feel that some of these folks will have some type of knowledge, some type of information, and say, now that I think about it, now that I'm more mature, I know I need to pass this information, End quote. Which, I mean, that's that's something that's, I mean, you might be too scared to say something, but then you get older in your years and you're like, yeah, I need to say something. Oh, yeah. That's a very possible thing. Yeah. Investigators urged anyone who can remember Dodd's abduction in 1977 to call police with any detail since they did reopen her case in 2017. Daniel said, It's as important today as it was back then. These gentlemen have spent a lot of their lifetime working into it and then another sheriff and these guys are still willing. Lily said he's hopeful that witnesses who were once loyal to Dodd's abductors are now not as attached to the suspects, possibly because of divorce or another life change. Lily says, quote, Circumstances change in people's lives. Hopefully these people will reconsider now. I'm sure somebody knows something. Maybe with these changes, they'll be more willing to come forward than they were in 1977." End quote. Raleigh Sheriff's Lieutenant J.C. Cannaday urged people to contact police with any detail they may recall. Canaday said, quote, "...it's important people don't try to judge how good their tip is. Something that they may not see as beneficial may be the missing piece
0: we need." End quote. Which, and I mean, that's what they're there to do. You know, they open a tip line. They ask for anybody who thinks they have any information. Anybody who thinks they may have saw something, even if it pans out to not be anything viable, they urge people to call in, let them know what they think they've seen, they think they've heard, anything. And then it's their job to go back and fact check, follow up on things, to see if anything does shake out from what was reported in. Right. Yeah,
1: I mean, it doesn't matter if you just say that you were driving through that area and you did see it happen, and maybe you caught the last three of the license plate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't think maybe back then that was important, but it is now.
0: Lily urges anyone with knowledge of Dodd or her abductors to contact the Raleigh Sheriff's Department at 304-255-9300. West Virginia State Police at 304-436-2101 or even Crime Stoppers at 304-255-STOP to place an anonymous tip and possibly receive a cash award. You
1: could very much help solve this case that took place in 1977 and bring closure to the entire thing. Give the police officers of raleigh county a win
0: because people do still care today thanks for listening to two jane Does. i'm emily and i'm kayla Please follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, and leave us a good review so that way others can notice us too. Catch us on Facebook at 2 Doe's where you can find updates on our episodes and links to our other social media accounts.